so we're going to talk tonight about making God your stronghold. Remember we talked about tearing down strongholds for a few weeks? Tearing down demonic strongholds. Tonight we're going to talk about making God your stronghold. Psalm 91. Stand with me for the reading of the word. Oh boy, I have a little challenge here. My computer keeps cutting off. Okay, Psalm 91, the word of our Lord. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall before you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Right, it's a wonderful, wonderful psalm, right? Father in heaven, I want to pray, Lord God, that you would open up our hearts and minds, Lord God. Tonight we'll talk about how, Lord God, we partner with you and we cooperate with you in building this stronghold. And Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that as again we sit at your feet, we would open our ears to hear, we would open our eyes to see, and that, Lord God, you would be our teacher and impart to us, Lord God, your wisdom, your will, Lord God, in your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a stronghold, I mean, there are people, you know, you look at people today, money can be um, somewhat of an imaginary stronghold. Uh, self-reliance, if you've ever read Thoreau, David Thoreau, his self-reliance was his stronghold. I see people in the church, they're preppers, and their preparation is their stronghold. Uh, people that I... I train with a lot of martial artists, uh, martial artists with their weapons and their tactics. That is their stronghold. Uh, some people turn to things that are very destructive, like alcohol, drugs. I mean, people absorbed in just kind of withdrawal from life and sports and entertainment. They remove themselves from the reality of life, and they make that their stronghold. So we really want to talk about the Lord tonight being our stronghold. But let me give you, I want to give you a couple of verses before we dig here, and I want to explain why I selected uh, Psalm 91. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, 14, it says at that time David was in the stronghold, and I want you to notice the word there, Matsut. 
And I want you to just keep that in your mind. David was in uh, the Metsu, the stronghold, and the Philistine garrison was in Bethlehem. They were in battle with each other. In 1 Samuel 23, 29, it says, And David went up from there and lived in the stronghold of Engadi. David is being hunted by King Saul. I want to show you Engadi. We've been, Joanne, you were with us in Engadi a few years ago. This um, is the fortress that still remains uh, up in, uh, in Engadi, which is down at the Dead Sea. And you can see it's on top of a plateau. For an army to get up here to, you know, to defeat David, it would have been, it would have been difficult. But here's, here's what it looks like. This is a, a map of what it looks like. Here's, here's where the actual stronghold, the fortress is. And again, you would see that an army would have to actually work up this way to get on top of that plateau to do that. And some of you, you may remember this when we were in Israel. This is an oasis, right? This actually oasis is down here in Engadi. Do you remember going there? It was a beautiful place. And it's like in the middle of this desert. It's dirt. It's sand. It's rock. And you got this great little vacation site. <laughs> That is just absolutely beautiful and, and incredible. But that, that is part of Engadi. So you, you see, again, there's a material stronghold in the scriptures. A fortress. A refuge. In Psalm 9.9, the Lord, here David refers to, is a refuge for the oppressed and a stronghold in times of trouble. And you see this repeated. You see this repeated through the Psalms. You see it repeated in First and Second Samuel. In Psalms 27.1, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In Second Samuel 22.3, he is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior from violent people. You save me. And in Psalm 18, uh, picking on here verse 2, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. Again, Matsud. And my deliverer, my God, is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. Uh, the same word is used, Matsud. Why doesn't the uh, translator translate them both, stronghold, okay, or fortress? And they do, this, they do this for grammatical reasons. I don't quite understand why they do that. But essentially here, the, the picture is that, you know, a, a stronghold, right, is a place, it's a fortress, it's a refuge, it's a place of safety. And here again, David talks about God essentially being his stronghold. So when we come to Psalm 91, I want you to, again, to see this, because you may be looking at the Psalm and saying, where's the, the word stronghold? But again, this is the, 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 this play that they, that they do in translating words. It says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my matsud, which could easily be, again, translated stronghold, my God in whom I take, uh, wh whom I will trust. So it is a picture, and I want to I emphasize this before I start digging into this psalm. Everything that we do in the Christian life that's right is in relationship with God. So you could be looking at this and looking at a, at a fortress. Everything is in relationship with God. We are in a relationship with God Almighty. We're in a relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you think, you think about a relationship. You think about a marriage relationship, a relationship with a child. A healthy relationship is built upon what? Love. 
faith, trust, those things that could be violated, right? They, 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 and at times we have in our relationships. We violate them. But this relationship, you know, God can become angered at us, right? We, we can frustrate God. God will discipline us, right? God, we can please Him, honor Him, glorify Him. But everything that we'll look at tonight, and I hope you understand this, what comes from this pulpit when I'm preaching here, everything is always related to the relationship with God. That, that, as soon as you get away from that relationship with God, you're, you're drifting off into religion, and you're drifting off into something that, that God did not intend. And the frustration of Jesus with Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes is essentially centered in that. It was not a relationship with God. It was nothing more than following a bunch of rules and regulations that for the most part were just the traditions of men and were dead. So, let's look. First thing, the stronghold is built in a secret place. First verse, right? Psalm 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What's the secret place? What is a secret place? Where, where in the entire Bible, there's only one other place in the entire Bible where secret place is mentioned. Does anyone know? Anyone take a guess? Lenny? Lenny? <laughs> yeah. Psalm, uh, Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to, if you understand Matthew 6, you, you, you will understand what, again, the Holy Spirit is revealing to us here about building a stronghold in the secret place. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 7, right? Everything the Pharisees did was for show. They were, they were showmen. Everything was done publicly. When they prayed, they prayed to be heard and seen by the public. When they fasted, they fasted to be seen, right? By the public. When they gave, what did Jesus say? They blew their trumpet and announced, right? They announced all their good deeds. So watch what it says here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 7 about prayer. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. See, never done in secret. It's always done in public. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So again, everything is done for show. Everything is done publicly. The Pharisees, what was their main objective? Who did they want, essentially, to please? Men. Right? They, were trying, they were trying to like please men. The person who's praying in the secret place, who are they trying to please? They're trying to please God. And when I say please men, they're, they're, they're seeking to earn right, the praise of men. The, the, the person whose heart is right with God is in the secret place. And I'm, I'm not just talking about when they're praying. Look, I have to pray publicly here. I'm not always comfortable with that, by the way. I'll tell you that. 
And I just want to say something that when I pray publicly, I pray the way I pray privately. I don't know if you know, I, I, I just talk to God. Sometimes people come here from uh, higher churches, Catholic Church, Episcopalian Church, and like, oh, when you pray, I, mean, my, I think my sister-in-law said this when I pray. She goes, he, he just talks to God. Like it's not, it's not, oh thou father, and you know, just it's, it's not putting on a show. Or yelling. I don't yell. When I'm, when I'm praying in the morning in my backyard, I pray silently and quietly to God. I don't yell and scream. You ever see preachers with that? When they pray, they yell and scream? They, 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 they think that the louder they yell, somehow God is going to hear them. It's, it's, it's a show. You see, some, some preachers, when they preach, they change their voice. We used to say this. They, they, you know, there were Jimmy Swagger, Charles Stanley, some of the southern preachers, they, they preach with a twang. Jimmy Swagger's from Louisiana. And suddenly they put on a twang when they're, when they're, when they're preaching. Right? It, it's fake. It's, it's, it's fraud. Instead of just, you know, you're, you're just communicating with God when you're praying. So the secret place, again, is that private relationship that we have with God. And it's, it's essentially to please God. Whether, whether you're, again, you'll pray out loud tonight, that's fine. I mean, and let me tell you, you might have to pray a little louder here because of the air conditioning. Last week, Faith was praying. Uh, two weeks ago, Faith was praying. I couldn't hear anything she was saying. I'm just praying along with the Spirit because of the, I was over underneath that. Uh, and I think my hearing's getting a little dull as I'm getting older. But just when, 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 you know, when you pray, you don't need to pray differently or act differently. And you know, the main thing that you can do is you're not looking, you're not looking to please men. You're not, you're not looking to, to hear, I'm not, I'm not here to earn the praise of man. Here to, to essentially please God. That's the secret place. So not, not just in your prayer, you know, when you're, when you're praying in your secret place, and, you know, and then you're praying publicly, but it's, it's the way we live. We live in the secret place. And that secret place is we are living to please God and not to please people. That's, that, that's just, you get that? That's, again, if we take these two verses and we put them together, Psalm 91 verse 1 and Matthew chapter 6, again, the secret place is a place where we seek to please God and not please people. And being a people pleaser and trying to earn, you know, earn people's you know, praise, man, that's a very dangerous place to be. And Jesus says, you know, he says it right here, you've already got your reward. There ain't nothing else coming. We live to please God. Number two, okay, the stronghold is built by trust. So in Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, he says here in verse 2, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. Again, my matsud, my stronghold, my God in whom I will trust. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. Now, I want to I suggest something to you. I think there is, there is a difference between the concept of faith and trust. Now, I just, if, you're, if you're looking at the actual Hebrew words, and there are a, a variety of them that are different, as well as in Greek, 
for, you know, for faith and for trust. But essentially, they're used, the same word, pistis, in the, um, in the New Testament for faith, it can be used in a different context, where sometimes I believe it's referring to just pure faith, and other times where it's, it's referring to just, you know, trust. I believe faith is, is saying, you know, well, I believe in God. I believe in God, right? I, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe he, he died for me on the cross. I believe he was raised from the dead. But trust, trust is a little bit different. See this chair? It looks quite sturdy, right? I think, right, the, the legs are, you know, they're pretty sturdy. I believe it can hold me. I believe it. I believe that if I sit in this chair, it's not going to collapse and I'm going to fall to the floor and hurt myself, right? I, I, you know, it seems like, I, I believe it, right? You know what trust is? This is trust. There's a difference between just saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, and actually just trusting. Trust, trusting in Jesus for your salvation. Trusting in Jesus for your healing. Trusting in Jesus for your deliverance, for your holiness, for your sanctification. There's a, you know, again, there's a difference. I'll show you, I want to use another illustration. When, when we would go to, thank you, when we would go to, uh, on our retreat, we used to do a family retreat years ago, we would, we would do this. And the person would stand up on the platform, right? See, that girl, that girl there, she's saying, right, she's acting in faith. She's saying, I believe they'll catch me. I believe it, right? You know, you got, you got Sister Joan down there, and you got Sister Mary, and, you know, Brother Carlos, right? They're all down. They, she, I, I believe, right, they're going to catch me. That's faith. That's trust. Actually falling into their arms. That was the whole purpose of those exercises that we would do. It's just you, you believe they're going to catch you. But trust actually brings you to the place where you abandon yourself. And you surrender yourself to it. And that's, and that's, that's trust in God. Trust is, is falling into the arms of Jesus and trusting him, right, to save you, right, to protect you, whatever, you know, whatever that, provide for you, deliver you. Faith says, I believe. Trust surrenders. Trust is a massive stone in the wall of your stronghold. It's a massive wall in your stronghold. So um, that's, that, that's key, Okay that you trust in building your stronghold. Okay, number three. We build the stronghold in truth. So down in verses three and four, it says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Shield and buckler pretty much describe the same thing, okay? A buckler is a, is a shield. Sometimes the word in the, in the uh, Hebrew can describe a, a hedge. 
But one of the most dangerous things that will tear down your stronghold and tear down a person's life, destroy a stronghold, destroy a person's life, is what? Lies. Lies. Lack of integrity. Lack of truth. We see it. We see it. We see it in the church. You see it. You see it in in, in leaders, in political leaders, in in sports leaders. People, you know, get caught. They get caught up. Right? They were living a lie. Just just today, I had somebody that I do business with, very successful guy, who seems to have gotten found out. He started the company. It was actually his company. And literally, I said to my wife, it's like a coup in the company. They ousted him. And I didn't know why. Later today, I got some messages saying why, but it, was, it, it wasn't essentially what he was doing. It was that the cover-up, he was hiding it, and he was lying, and he was deceiving um, the shareholders, the other employees. And I don't know what's going ha- to happen with this, but it's really bad. You build something. I mean, this guy has built this incredible company. And then this, this happens. But again, why? Because of a lack of integrity. A lack of integrity. Just, you know, deception, lies. Look at, at, at John eight thirty one through 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, and again, notice this connection between the word and truth, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth will always create freedom. Deception, okay, will always create bondage. Now, I want to give you a, a couple of things. Truth begins here with me. That's it. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't begin with, with you. It, it essentially begins with me. It, it begins, look, Psalm 51.6, Behold, your, you, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. By the way, that, that, that word inward parts only occurs one other time in Hebrew in the entire Old Testament, and it occurs in Job, and it's referred to as the heart. So essentially, you, you desire a truthful, a truthful heart. What, what, is, what is the heart? The heart is the center of our, our very soul, the center of our being. It's the place of our truest desires, our truest values, our truest beliefs. It's where, it's where our true belief system is. So it, the idea here, we need to be honest, essentially with God and with ourselves. We need to be discerning to make sure we're not lying to ourselves or, or fooling ourselves. Some people, again, they, they go through life, not only do they, they think they're fooling other people, they're fooling them, they, they, they're actually fooling themselves into believing that somehow this is, this is okay. I want to say this to you. Everyone is, gets caught. I don't, I don't know if they make it to the grave not getting caught. I don't know if you've, if you've noticed that. If, you, if you've seen people, I mean... Just, you know, people in, in Hollywood, people who are politicians, have you seen them, how they, they get caught and they get exposed? I, I, I really believe you, you're not going to get away with it. You're, you're, going, you're going to get exposed. Everyone, right, at some point gets exposed. And again, it, it could be incredibly 
damaging and destructive. So the, the, the key thing here, truth begins in the inward parts. It, it begins with you, right? You really coming to a place of being a person who is going to live transparently and, and honestly and not be living a lie, not, not be living as a deceiver. So look at, at, at John. Jesus said this in John three nineteen through 21. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. What is that? When the light comes, it exposes. And people will hide in the darkness, thinking again that they, they, nobody sees me. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen and that they have been done in God. This person is a person who lives transparently. And again, it begins It begins in their relationship with God and it begins with them being really discerning and honest with themselves. That they'll come into the light, the light is going to reveal right what's wrong. And then they, they deal with it. Another key component, okay, uh, of living a life of truth is speaking the truth in love. But speak the truth in love, right, may grow up in all things into him who is the head in Christ. Now, it's speaking the truth in agape. Why? Why do we need to speak the truth with agape? Because let me tell you something. The truth hurts like hell. Just tell you this, as I stand here and preach, I watch people, I watch people at times cringing. And then the Holy Spirit starts revealing things to you about, about certain places where people are. And I mean people are coming under tremendous conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that's where again, if just you know, you're dishing out the truth, and it, it could just it, it just blow away people. They can't handle it. Right, was that movie where they said, you can't handle the truth? Right? I've never seen the movie, but I've seen that scene, right? They play it. I think Tom Cruise was in that. But the, you know, the, the concept, people can't. And that's why it, it, truth has to be bathed in the agape love of God, His grace, that if God is exposing you, He's exposing you for the purpose that you would repent, turn from your sins, come to Him, be forgiven, be restored, be healed, be whatever you need. And that's why the truth needs, again, to be saturated in love. In, in my earliest preaching days, Pastor Rizzo, my, my pastor, he called me into his office. I was preaching, I was preaching, he was dealing with some illness. I was in the pulpit a lot on Sundays and a lot on Wednesdays. And he said to me, your name is Frank. And he goes, that's you. And he said, you need to be less frank. <laughs> he goes, and what he was saying is, you, you need to, you know, saturate the truth with love. Because people are just getting blown away. The belt of truth, right? What did I say a few weeks ago? It holds all the other pieces together. Holds the breastplate in place, holds the sheath of the sword in place, right? It's key. When you lose your integrity, the stronghold falls apart. The enemy gets a foothold. I mean, the enemy, right, he gets in there, he, 
destroy your life, destroy your marriage. He could destroy your children. Right? He'll destroy your career. He'll destroy your ministry. He'll, he'll destroy, he'll destroy the, your, your church. So that, that, that is key. Number four. The stronghold is built in God's presence. Psalm 95, uh, 91 verse 5 through 9. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now watch. Because you have made, you have made, you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. Because you have made, right, the Lord, the place where you dwell. You live in His presence. You know, something that, that bothers me, I don't think you see these things, a lot of things, even in, in some teachers that are supposedly so right on, I see things that are non-biblical. And I get a discerning eye seeing things. A lot of non-biblical things coming out of the mouths of people. False, false teachings, deception. And I think a lot of them are not even aware of it. But something that bothers me is there's, you know, in, in Christianity today, it's all, it's all one and done, right? Come forward, say the sinner's prayer, right? By the way, the sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. I, I said that a couple weeks ago and somebody came up to me and said, well, well it, it's in the Bible. I said, show me, show me. I'm, I'm, I'm a Bible teacher. It's not in the Bible. When Jesus called people, he called them to repentance. He called them to belief. He called them to follow him. He called them to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. He didn't, he didn't say, hey, you know what, you pray this little prayer and you're forgiven and you're going to go to heaven. He never said that. I think that I did that for years and I don't do it anymore because I believe it's basically deceiving people. And they say a prayer and then they think they're going to heaven and they could very well be going to hell. And there's a lot that the scriptures say about people who think they're going to heaven and actually are going to hell. It's, 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 it's true repentance and faith and trust in him as your God, as your Lord, as your Savior, as your King, as, your, you know, as your, um, the one who died for you on the cross. But again, you get this one and done mentality and the Christian life is a relationship. It is a journey. It is a process. You, you are going to walk together with Jesus through this life. You're going to be on the mountaintops with him where you can hear the angels singing and you will go through the valleys where you can hear the demons hissing. There are going to be days that are, that are sunny and warm and there are going to be days that are, that are dark and cold. But it's, it's a relationship, an ongoing relationship with him and not just a one and done and I think that, that that is a major misleading. So it's really living in his presence. The Christian life is an ongoing process of living in the Lord's presence in this relationship, you know, day in and day, you know, day out. So, you know, a, a great book that really had a, a tremendous impact on me it was a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. This is a, a man who was a monk who washed dishes in a monastery, I believe in France, and um, he was not highly gifted. He was not uh, a gifted teacher or a preacher or a leader. He wasn't musically, um, in, you know, inclined. He wasn't, he wasn't a singer of the Gregarian chants. Um, Brother Lawrence washed dishes. 
but he took joy in washing dishes for the glory of God. And when he would be washing dishes, he would be praising God and glorifying God and thanking God. And he lived in the presence of God. And the whole little, it's a little book, you can read it in a sitting. But it taught me that, you know what, this relationship I have with God is not just this. (laughs) God forbid. You know, it's not just, you know, when when I'm doing the the, the church, the the presence of God is there with me wherever I am, whenever I am, they'll forgive me, Lord, for how many times I forget and lose sight of you. When I'm driving in the car, right? When I'm doing yard work, you know, when when I'm writing, when I'm, you know, just, it's, there and that that's a key thing when when you cultivate that habit of living in the presence of God you have built a very strong stronghold in your life because i mean it, it's in his presence where you're experiencing his love you're experiencing his grace his mercy his power okay number 5 the stronghold is built through knowing him So again, in Psalm 91, verse 14 through 16, he says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample under feet, because he has set his love upon me. Notice, the person has set their love upon God. God has also set his love upon them. We love him because, what, he first loved us. I wouldn't have loved God had he you know, truly showed me his love. The more he showed me his love, the greater my love for him has grown. So it says, it's because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known, and notice this, known my name. What is it to know the name of the Lord? To know the name of the Lord, uh, uh, the Lord's name, and this is true of, of names in the Bible, they describe the very character, okay, the, um, the attributes, the nature of God or of the person. So when you, when you talk about the name of God, I mean, you can, you know, just look, it could be Yahweh or Eternal God or Holy Spirit, you know, Messiah, Adonai, I mean, go through all these. Just let me show you this. I'll, I'll, I'll make this simple. The names of God... These are some Old Testament, okay, Hebrew names of God. So, um, Yahweh means the Lord. So if you know the name Yahweh, the name of the Lord, to know the name of the Lord is, is again, to know that he is the Lord of your life. To um, El Roy, the God who sees, the God who sees all. That is to, to live your life aware that, hey, God is always looking, he's always watching, he's always there. The uh, Yahweh uh, Yaira, okay, with the, the Greek rendition, Jehovah Jaira, the Lord will provide. That is to know God as your provider. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Right? The Lord is my shepherd. He gives me everything that I, that, that I need. And um, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord of peace, to know, again, the name of the Lord as Yahweh Shalom is to know him as your peace. So that's the, that's the, the, the concept here, to, to know the Lord. The deeper you come to know him, again, the deeper your relationship grows. 
and essentially increases with him. All right, number six is the final one. The stronghold stronghold is built by calling upon the Lord. So verse 15 and 16, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In a number of Psalms, you see this concept of calling on the Lord, and we call on the Lord in all times, but it's calling on the Lord, notice this, in trouble. The Lord is the stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. We call upon him when the crap hits the fan. The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Obviously, there is something there creating fear. Psalm 27.1. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and is safe, right? There must be some danger there. And that's, again, why we go to the stronghold. Proverbs chapter 18.1. Last Wednesday, 5 o'clock, Sue and I are getting ready to eat dinner. And Rachel calls, and she's basically really upset. And Sue's on the phone with her, and she says, Nathaniel has um, basically just kind of blocked out. He's had a seizure. He's not responding, and she said he's not cognitive. And so Sue immediately said to her, call 911. Um, I jumped in the car. Sue had to shut the fires off on the uh, grill, and then she jumped in the car. Rushing to the house, and then once there, following the ambulance, Sue was in the ambulance with him. But I said to Sue at the end of the night, by the way, he's fine. He has, he got Kaksaki. He's going to be out for another few days, but he's fine. Giancarlo got it, uh, running high fevers. Uh, He was running 104 fever. And she was trying to get it down with Tylenol and with uh, cold water presses, but he had a seizure, which happens with kids with high fevers. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know it was Kaksaki. We didn't have any idea what was going on. You know, so you, those of you who have children, you know what happens to you. All I can tell you is, I, I said to Sue at night, were you calling on the Lord? Because we were crying out. I was just, it was nonstop crying out to God in the drive from my house to their, you know, to their house, and then following that ambulance at rush hour, which, which took a while, and um, it was just nonstop. And then getting to the hospital, not knowing what's going on, because Sue is in there with him, and I'm outside, you know, and just, just calling on the Lord in your time of distress. Crying, cry, I mean, just the level of intensity. And I'll tell you, I, I think... Outside of my son, when my son was diagnosed, my son Frank was diagnosed with a, a tumor in his chest, a cancerous tumor that was the size of a, uh, I think he said a volleyball. When we, that, that day when we found out that, you called me, you were down in Pennsylvania with him, and I think driving down the turnpike, just again, it was just that, 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 that intense calling. I don't know if I've ever had anything more intense than that, and not anything that I've ever done in my life. But I think that's the the picture of of calling upon the Lord who is our stronghold. Our stronghold. And that's, you know, when we we call, I mean, you can call on a lot of people. Right? 
you, you can call on the police. And, you know, you can, you can call on the politicians. And one of the greatest sadnesses of America right now, people think that the politicians are going to solve our problems. You, th you think they're going to be able to solve, you know, this, this whole global warming thing, which I personally don't believe it's caused by CO2, but I do believe that there is a warming. The temperature on the earth is up two degrees, and I believe that it is, it is affecting the actual, um, they're happening. But these people can't solve anything. <laughs> do you think they're going to be able to fix the weather? America needs to call upon the Lord right now our, our country is in a mess. The churches, churches should be filled with people praying and calling upon the Lord. Because things are not getting better, they're getting progressively worse. How much worse can they get? I won't share that with you. From what I, I, I believe, I believe could very well happen if there isn't some type of a true revival and repentance in this country. But, you know, that, that's, again, calling on the Lord. That's the stronghold. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. Just, again, everything that I gave you tonight, six, six key things. And it's, again, building that stronghold one brick at a time. Right? It's not one and done. We, we are uh, putting those bricks in place in our relationship. And, it's, again, everything is relatable. Our, you know, trusting in Him. Living your life, right, from the secret place. You know, calling upon the Lord. It's all done in relationship with Him. So, let's bow our heads. Father, I just pray, Lord, that You would, Lord God, let this Word sink into our hearts. Let it go down into the depths of our hearts, Lord God. That, Lord Jesus, cooperating with You, in relationship with You, that, Lord God, we would truly build a mighty stronghold. That, Lord God, will be a place of safety, will be a place of protection, a place of fortification from the evil of this world. And that, Lord God, you'd be glorified in it. Because, Lord God, you are the stronghold. The stronghold of our life. For we exalt you, we praise you, give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Stand